Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Um, uh, I'm very sorry I can't be with you this morning at uh, St. Mary's uh, due to COVID, uh, but I'm glad that I'm still able to open up God's Word with you. Uh, so can I ask you please to turn to Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 21, to chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, uh, beginning from verse 21. If you've got the passage open in front of you, uh, let me lead us in prayer and we'll look at it together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you um, uh, that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. I thank you that you've been speaking to us uh, as we've worked through this book of Galatians thus far, and we pray that you continue to do that now uh, as we look at this passage together. Uh, we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a slave or a child? Now, when you serve God, do you serve him to get his approval and avoid his punishment? Uh, or do you serve him because you love him and you want to honor him? Do you try to be good in order to escape hell and get to heaven? Or do you try to be good because he is good and he's your father who loves you? Are you a slave or a child? Well, in the first two chapters of Galatians, the Apostle Paul was quite astonished that the Galatians were moving away from the true gospel of Christ. Uh, this gospel, uh, the true gospel, came from Jesus himself. Uh, and that was being attacked by a group of people from Jerusalem named the Judaizers. Uh, and they were saying that faith in Christ is not enough for salvation. Uh, unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, they said, you cannot be saved. In other words, people had to obey the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai 1,500 years earlier. But really, even the Jews couldn't keep the law. Over and over again, the history was one of failure in that respect. And they could not be justified. That is, they could not be declared righteous by God, the righteous judge on that last day, on the basis of observing the law. In fact, by the works of the law, no one, Jew or Gentile, would be justified. But thank God that he made another way. And that way is to be justified by faith in Christ. For we have, if we have faith in Christ, we are united with Christ by the Spirit. We are spiritually together. We are one. And you can say that we have been crucified with Christ. Our sins were counted to him. His righteousness is counted to us. And so when Christ died on the cross, it was our sins that he paid for. And what is left is his righteousness that we share with him. And so now it is perfectly right for God to declare us righteous in Christ. We are now justified. And since it is faith that unites us with Christ, we can say that we are justified by faith. The problem is, these Gentile Galatians, having been justified by faith, were being influenced to go backwards and start observing the Jewish law. And Paul was exasperated with this. In chapter 3, he reminded them that they received the Spirit, not when they obeyed the law, but when they believed in Jesus. In fact, they were like Abraham. Abraham believed God, the Old Testament says, it was counted to him as righteousness. He heard God's promises, he trusted God's word, God considered him righteous. It was all about believing. On the other hand, when the law came, it was not about believing, but about doing. It came with a stipulation that everyone who did not keep all the things written in it would be cursed. Jesus died to take the curse for the Jewish believers who would otherwise have been stuck under the law. He was cursed for them to release them from the law. And now they are released from the law and come to God by faith. That same blessing of Abraham, justification by faith, also can go to the Gentiles. Because Gentiles too were previously under sin. They also can come to God by faith alone and receive the Spirit. And so what Paul's telling the Galatians is this. If like Abraham you have heard God's promises in the gospel and you have trusted him, God considers you righteous. You don't need the law. So why was the law put there in the first place? 
But Paul says it was like a guardian, someone to watch over a kid until he's grown up and doesn't need him anymore. And that's what happened to the Jews. They were enslaved to the law, which is a manifestation of the elementary principles of the universe, which presumably involves getting rewarded for doing good and punished for doing evil, which is slavery for people like us who are by nature sinful. But now, he says, when the right time came for them to be released from the law, God sent his son. He lived perfectly under the law, doing everything the law requires from the heart, so he could redeem his Jewish believers from the law so they don't need it anymore. And they have full rights of adoption as sons. But it wasn't just Jewish Christians. Gentiles too were enslaved to having to do good to be accepted by God, but not being good enough. But Jesus redeems us from that as well, and we became not slaves, but sons. Now, Paul uses sons for both men and women, because in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are one in Christ. We relate to God on the same basis. We are all heirs, right? something only the sons were in that society. And we've all been given the Spirit, so like Jesus, we can call God Abba, Father. The problem is, which we saw last week, these Gentile Christians are already picking up things from the law. They had begun to observe special days and seasons and years the way the Jews did. And now they're about to get circumcised as well, to become full-blown Jewish converts. They'd been saved from the elementary principles of the world, but if they went under the law, it would actually be like going back there again. And so we saw Paul passionately begging them not to do this. That is not progress. You are going from being free to being in bondage, from being sons to being slaves. And to illustrate that, to make it stark and bold, he draws up a picture from the Old Testament in our passage today, a picture of a slave and a picture of a son. We pick up his illustration in verse 21 of chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the free woman. Now we heard that story in our Old Testament reading, isn't it? All right, the slave woman was Hagar, Abraham's slave. Her son was Ishmael. The free woman was Sarah, Abraham's wife. Her son was Isaac. The son of the slave woman, verse 23, was born according to the flesh. It was a natural birth, but bear in mind that we have a fallen nature. It was a birth that came about, well, because Abraham failed to trust God to keep his promises at that point and took things into his own hands. It was according to the flesh. The son of the free woman, in verse 23, was born through promise. It was a supernatural birth. Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children, but God gave them Isaac in fulfillment of his promise. Now, Paul's going to use this to illustrate his point. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he tells us in verse 24 that, uh, that Hagar and Sarah allegorically represent two covenants. They illustrate, they show, they share the essence of two covenants. What two covenants? Well, on the one hand, you have the Sinai Covenant, the covenant in which God gave the law to Moses and the people agreed to obey it. They would be blessed in the land if they did. They would be cursed if they didn't. This covenant is also called the Law of Moses. It's a covenant based on doing, right? covenant number one. The second covenant, Paul doesn't identify in this passage. Presumably, he either means the new covenant, the covenant in which our sins are remembered no more because of the death of Jesus for us, in which the Spirit writes God's law on our hearts, in which we know God personally. Or he could mean the covenant with Abraham, 
where God made promises to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and he considered him righteous. Or both at the same time, because actually both these covenants work on the same principle. They share the same promises. Right? It's not about doing, it's about hearing God's word and trusting him. So that's, that's covenant number two. Now, which covenant goes with Hagar, the slave woman? Which covenant goes with Sarah, the free woman? The Jews, of course, will always identify themselves with Isaac, not Ishmael. Right? After all, he was their ancestor. Right? Ishmael was the ancestor of another group of people. So they would have said their mother is Sarah. But Paul's not going to let them do that here. Because the controlling factor in this illustration is not genetic ancestry, but slavery versus freedom. And the law we have seen enslaves people. You are righteous by doing according to the law, but you can never do enough. The gospel brings freedom. You are righteous by believing God's promises, and it depends on him and not on you. And so Paul boldly identifies Hagar in verse 24 with Mount Sinai, where God gave Israel the law and says that she bears children for slavery. Now, how shocking would this have been for the Jews? Because he's saying that Hagar's spiritual children are the Jews who are under the law, centered in literal, physical city of Jerusalem. The present Jerusalem that had rejected Christ and was still under the control of those who wanted to obey the law, the Jews in Judaism. And so he says in verse 25, Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. On the other hand, the free woman, Sarah, is identified in verse 26 with Jerusalem above. Uh, that is, um, the true Jerusalem, the place where God's king, Jesus, reigns. And the citizens of Jerusalem are those who belong to his kingdom. Uh, and so Paul says in verse 26, she is our mother. For it is written, verse 27, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the, those of the one who has a husband. Right, the quote there is from Isaiah 54, verse 1 in the Old Testament, written 600 years before this. Now, in the previous chapter, Isaiah 53, Isaiah had prophesied about the coming of Jesus as the suffering servant, who would die to pay for the sins of his people, who would bear their sins on their behalf. And so by doing so, he would make many to be declared righteous before God, to be justified. And because he did that, God would raise him up and reward him. All that was in Isaiah 53. And so Isaiah 54, God calls his people to rejoice. The barren one should sing for joy. The desolate one will have many, many children. It goes on to say that the, uh, the, the offspring will possess many nations, for the Lord, her husband, has compassion on her. Who is this barren one? It is God's people, Jerusalem, the ones for whom the servant died, the ones he came to save. Not the literal physical Jerusalem down the road in the Middle East, but the real Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above, the Jerusalem that consists of God's true people from all over the world. And friends, if we trust in Jesus, Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. We belong to her. We are children of the free woman, not children of the slave woman. So by implication, we are children of Sarah, not children of Hagar. And so Paul says in verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
We exist supernaturally. We exist because God kept his promise. He promised to send the suffering servant to die and rise again. And he did. By his death and resurrection, Jesus formed this new people, the Jerusalem above. We are part of this people, not by doing, but by hearing God's promises and trusting him. We are children of promise, promises which God has kept in Jesus Christ. You see the picture Paul is painting for us here. Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, present Jerusalem, Judaism. Sarah, Isaac, Jerusalem above, believers. Now look what he says in verse 29. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. That's the observation. Ishmael persecuted Isaac, and the Jews were persecuting the believers. We will see in chapter 6 that the persecution would have stopped if the Gentile Christians had been circumcised, but the ones born of the flesh kept on persecuting the ones born of the spirit. Now, here's Paul's punchline, the command in verse 30. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Right? Way back in Abraham's time, a son through a slave would inherit with the son of a man's wife as long as the slave was in the household. But if the slave were given her freedom, then he wouldn't. And God told Abraham, that Isaac would be his heir. And so Abram had to take decisive action in obedience to God. He had to send Hagar and Ishmael away, trusting God to look after them, which he did. And just as Abraham had to take decisive action for the sake of God's promises, the Galatians had to do the same. Cast out the slave woman and her son, God says. Get rid of law-keeping as a means of salvation. Get rid of the people who are trying to bring you back under the law of Moses. Stop listening to them. Cast out Judaism from Christianity. You are not, verse 31, children of the slave, but of the free woman. Christ has set you free, chapter 5, verse 1. Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free from the law. Christ has set you free from the elemental principles, from having to earn your salvation. You stand. Stand firm. Don't go back to the slavery of the law. Do not submit. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't think we're in danger of becoming Jews, are we? We're not about to adopt the law of Moses and get circumcised and observe the food laws and the Jewish festivals. So, so how does this apply to us? Well, a few things I want to say. First of all, beware of legalism. Don't go back to the law as a way of being saved, because following the Old Testament law is not the only way we can get back to rule-keeping as a way to be saved. Some, some forms of Christianity will do it as well. They'll pile you up with lots of rules and regulations you have to follow in order to be right with God, and that's, that's still legalism. Uh, sometimes no one does it to us, we do it to ourselves. And that's not right either, is it? God loves us and accepts us as his children in Christ. Uh, we don't have to prove ourselves to him by keeping rules in order to be saved. And of course, God wants us to repent of our sins, and God will teach us and train us and change us and discipline us as his children. And of course, he has given us his spirit to change us, to make us want to obey him. And of course, we must love him and must love one another. Of course, we must do what is right. But all those things we do not in order to be saved, but because we have been. We do that not in order to make God love us, because, but because he does. We do that not in order to be accepted by God, but because our acceptance has been won in Jesus. We're acceptable to God. We are righteous, not by rule-keeping, but by hearing his promises 
and believing in Him. Sometimes we might forget and start thinking that our acceptance to God is based on doing rather than trusting what Christ has done. There may be times when we sin, and instead of looking to the cross in repentance and faith, instead of confessing our sins and trusting the death of Jesus to save us, you know what we try and do? We try and save ourselves. We try to do something good to make up for what we've done wrong. You ever done that? Try to do something good to balance out what we did wrong, as it were. Friends, that is the doing way, not the hearing God's word and trusting him way. Don't do that. Because if you do that, let me tell you what happens. First of all, it hides sin from your own eyes. You think it's okay to do this because you've balanced it off with something else and you don't really repent and change. And so sin is never confronted and weeded out of your life or mine. Well, we can't do that. But we need to get rid of sin. Uh, and we can't think that if we do something good, we can balance it out. Secondly, it robs Jesus of the glory because he actually is the only one who can deal with our sin. By dealing it with it in a doing kind of way, we kind of pretend that we can atone for our own sin and then we don't really appreciate the gospel. And if we keep on doing that, in the end, we'll think that we've got to keep on doing this, that and the other in order to be saved. And in the end, we won't be because we won't be trusting in Jesus. We'll be trusting ourselves. And thirdly, it will affect how we relate to God because it will rob us of our joy in service. For instead of delighting to serve him as the father who loves us and gave his son for us, instead of joyfully serving him as a child, we will treat him as a slave treats his master whom he fears but despises. We will do good in order to keep him happy. To restrain, we will restrain from doing evil in order to stop him from being angry. We'll be like slaves not like sons. If you are a son, male or female, you serve your father, not because you're scared of his curse, but because you love him, because you're part of the family. So the family business is your business. You do good because you're in the family and that is what the family does. You are just like your father because his spirit is in your heart, the spirit of his son. So brother, sister, you are not a slave, you are a son. Don't relate to your father like a slave. Don't go back to law-keeping as a way of winning God's favor. Don't go back to law-keeping as a way of being saved. Beware of legalism. Secondly, remember we are not under the Sinai Covenant and we don't want to be. Sinai Covenant is slavery, not freedom. Now there's a whole lot of people today who think the Sinai way of relating to God is very attractive. Uh, because of just one aspect of it. Because they see God promised Israel in Deuteronomy that he would bless them in the land with abundant physical blessing, health, wealth, victory over their enemies if they obey him. And they say, well, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you obey God, he will give you health, wealth, and victory. And if I were cynical, I might add that the obedience is often shown by making a donation to their organization. Friends, Hagar is for Sinai is for slavery. You are not under the Sinai covenant anymore. You're no longer in the physical land. You're in Christ. And every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ now. And you have a place with him in the promised land of the new creation. And you receive that by trusting in Christ. That is so much better than health, wealth, and victory in Canaan. You really want to go back to Sinai? If you do, you've got to go for the other half of the story. Yes, there was physical blessings in the land when they obeyed, but there was also curse when they disobeyed. And you know how it worked out, don't you? Curse, 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 curse. 
But Christ redeemed his Jewish people from the curse of the law. He died to pay for their curse and release them from it. And now, you want to go back there? Not only it is impossible, it is crazy. To go back to the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy as a way of relating to God when you have the gospel is like going back to being a slave when you're a son. Don't be enslaved by a false gospel. It's a different gospel than the one that Judaizers preached, but the end, the impacts are the same. Don't go back to Sinai covenant for the way you relate to God. Thirdly, expect persecution from people who are in slavery. Right? Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. The early believers were persecuted by the Jews. And those who trust in Christ will be persecuted by those who think they have to relate to God on the basis of law. There are many people in this world today who think they have to do instead of hearing God's promise and trusting Him. There are multiple religious systems predicated on that basis. Friends, just as at that time, he who was born of the flesh persecuted him who was born of the Spirit, so also it is now. Now, no need to take revenge, no need to be surprised. That's, that's just the way it is. Expect it. <coughs> Finally, remember what Paul told the Galatians to do. Cast out the slave woman. In other words, get rid of the false gospel that you need to add to the finished work of Christ in order to be saved. For the, for the Galatians, that would mean that they no longer should listen to the false teachers anymore. They must purge their influence among them. No longer come under the influence of those who say, you really got to get circumcised, got to go back under the law of Moses. And for us, we too must be vigilant. We must be careful not to let false teaching like this propagate among us. And where necessary, you must take decisive action. We must trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. We must preach Christ and Christ alone for salvation. We must guard our freedom in Christ and never, never, never go back to slavery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have been adopted as your children. We thank you that Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins and given us his righteousness and that we are justified by faith in him. We thank you that you've given us your spirit so that we know you as our loving Father. We thank you that you've freed us from the slavery of seeking to win our salvation by doing. It only results in judgment. Please help us to keep listening to your word and trusting your promises. Thank you for the gospel of grace through faith in your Son. Help us to live by this gospel and never seek to win our acceptance with you by rule-keeping. Help us to be willing to suffer for this gospel, for we know that those who are in slavery will seek to persecute us. And help us to take whatever decisive action is needed to guard this gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.